I remember when I was a teenager and I remember just watching and witnessing my parents' marriage break down. So they'd been married for 27 years and it had been a bit of a bumpy ride to say the least. I remember watching from a distant but being so involved in it as it began to erode and break down in front of my eyes. And as a child growing up, witnessing and seeing certain things, and then as a teenager growing up and seeing and hearing certain things, it began to affect me, as you can imagine. So much so that as a, as a teenager, at times I find it hard to sleep. So I'd go to bed at night, and obviously at night you process everything, you try and put everything in their place. But at night I would just begin to process, think, pray, and try and work out what does life look like? What's their marriage going to look like? What's the future going to look like? Am I safe? Am I loved? Am I okay? And I used to sneak downstairs when everybody was asleep. My mom, dad, and sister would be asleep. And I was still awake processing all these things. And I used to take a guitar downstairs with me. And at the very bottom of the house, I'd have this guitar. I'd have an old hymn book. I'd light a candle. And I would just worship God through the night. And this was my songs to God in the night. I'd sing these songs to God in the night. Nobody knew. It was just me and God. It was such a special, amazing moment as I sung these songs in the night. Around the same time, a traveling preacher came to uh, the church that I was brought up in. Now, this was a guy who'd never been to the town before. He'd never visited the church. He didn't even live in the neighboring city or the closest city to where we were. He didn't know my family. He'd never met me. Didn't know anything about my situation. And at the end of his talk, he invited people to come to the front just like we do here. And people came to the front just like we do here. And I'm kind of there as a teenager thinking, whoa, I might do that. I might do that. So I slowly, bravely, courageously thinking, oh, it's too important not to. This is the life and death stuff, isn't it? It's the stuff that makes all the difference. Let me go and get some prayer. So I kind of make my way to the front and stand there and, and wait for prayer. And this traveling preacher, not knowing anything about me or my family or my situation or anything, just prayed very gently and very lovingly for me. But then he leans in and he says, I feel like God is saying, Jesus says, Paul, I hear your songs in the night, and I love them. I hear your songs in the night, and I love them. I love that story because in that moment, I felt seen, I felt known, I felt cared for. I felt and I knew that God knew my backstory. He knew my, what was going on backstage and he brought it into the light because he cared. Lovingly, not shaming me, not embarrassing me, but bringing what was going on in the dark into the light. And it was a real healing, amazing moment. There's a reason I tell you that story um, and I'll come back to it a little later on. But I want to take you through the text that James very kindly read, and I want to walk us through it, and then I'm going to continue on from where he left to the end where it's kind of concluded. So we see in the passage that James has just read, 
that the people are disputing who's baptizing more people. Is it Jesus? Is it John? And there's this commotion going on. They're caught up in the petty things of like, oh, is he great? Is he great? How many people are baptizing? And as I read this, I imagine Jesus kind of rolling his eyes and going, oh, for goodness sake. For goodness sake. Like, who's, seriously? And then you say, Jesus goes on. He says, let's go to Galilee. And actually, if you read the scriptures, you read the gospels, you see Jesus do this on occasion. It's like, okay, we're off. We're out of here. Let's go somewhere else. You want me to, you want me to do this? I'm going to go somewhere else. And Jesus kind of rolled his eyes saying, we're going to go. And he goes to Samaria. Now, as people, we can be bombarded, caught up, consumed in the petty things. If you're anything like me, we can totally submerge ourselves in all the things that we think are important, the things that people are talking about, the things that's happening on social media, the things that are are kind of in or trending at the moment. And it can actually block out the things that are actually going on in our backstage, in our back world, the things that are actually important. Jesus leaves these petty conversations and he goes looking for a hurting woman. These are images from the artist and musician Moby. The music video is called Are You Lost in a World Like Me? You guys have seen this video. We've played it here at P's and G's. But it talks about the time, the age that we are living in. Where literally when there's a moment of silence, we reach for our phone. We're so uncomfortable with the silence. We're in a doctor's waiting room. Where's my phone? What's happening in the world? How many likes do I have? Who's following me? How many people are liking this? How many filters have I used? We're constantly bombarded and there's so many distractions in our world. The other day, I was making a cup of tea for my wife and I reached to get the Yorkshire tea out. And as I opened the box, the first thing that I saw was share your brew on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. And I was like, I just want to share my tea with my wife. Like, I'm not bothered about sharing this with the world and how many people have liked my cup of tea. I just want to be in the moment. I just want to be in the moment. There's bigger things than the petty things that we can, myself included, get caught up in. And here Jesus is rolling his eyes, I believe, and saying, guys, I'm not about this. Like, I'm going after someone who's hurting. I'm crossing all these divides. I'm I'm going to a place that wouldn't normally go to because I know that the world is hurting. And I'm seeking them out and I'm going to bring freedom to this lady. We can, at times, be so distracted and so uncomfortable with silence that we kind of find ways, and let's be honest, we've got an easy way to kind of just check out from them things, that we can fail to do a pulse reading of our heart and say, God, what's actually going on? What's going on in my life? How's my marriage? How am I doing at work? How's my kids? How's my walk with you, God? Moments on the bus where it's just 20 minutes in, do I get my foot? What, Lord, where am I at? Where am I at? It's what God asked of Adam and Eve, didn't he? He said, where are you? Where are you? They were hiding. Where are you? He asked the same of us, where are you? Where's your heart? And it's these moments that we can carve out and we can allow God just to speak to us and give him a heart and say, God, there's all this going on. There's all, you know it. You don't judge me. You're not being condemning me. You know it. You carefully and lovingly bring it into the light because you want to heal. You want to set me free. You want me to connect with you. 
In this instance, then, Jesus is concerned about bigger things. He's concerned about this hurting lady. And in the text, we see that in verse 3, Jesus goes to Samaria. Now, this is really interesting because in the text, it says that Jews and Samaritans don't mix. And this is a bit of an understatement, really, because there's tensions here that go way, way back to Solomon. There was tensions between uh, rival places and, and Samaria. It wouldn't be a place that you would go to. And actually, people from neighboring towns and villages would go the long way round, not so they didn't go into Samaria. People would be robbed and mugged. They would avoid this area. Yet Jesus is going straight through it. Actually, in the Gospels, when you read again, you actually see the disciples, that they avoid that area and they go elsewhere. But Jesus is going straight for it. He's after the heart. He's going after this hurting lady whose backstory is way back there. And she's, she's ignoring it and, and she's not looking at it, but he's wanting to bring healing. He's wanting to bring the living water to her. He's wanting to satisfy someone who's blatantly not satisfied. He also um, wouldn't be really talking to a woman. Like culturally, like that was just absolutely no-no. Like it's a big no-no. So men weren't really allowed to be alone with a woman in public, especially if it wasn't your wife. And actually, traditionally, culture would say that a man shouldn't even talk to his wife in public. So in the street, he shouldn't be talking to his wife. This is the culture. This is the time. Yet Jesus is talking to a woman, he's alone with a woman who's not his wife, he's talking to, his, to a woman in public, and he's asking to use her water jar. Scripture said he didn't have a jar. He's saying, can, can I use your water jar? Can we drink out of the same glass? Like, how intimate is that? How intimate is that? And Jesus is stamping on the toes of the cultural boundaries and traditions, and he doesn't care. He doesn't care, because he sees the woman, he knows she's hurting he wants to give a living water, and he's not bothered about the boundaries that are put before him. So he's alone with a woman. He's in a place that he shouldn't be in. He's talking to her. He's doing something quite intimate here, at drinking this water. But he's also hanging out with a lady who isn't of good character. Like, this isn't like a well-respected lady in the town or the village. Like, she's getting drinks of water in the middle of the day hottest part of the day to avoid all the women and the community who are probably in the shade somewhere like she's coming out to get a drink when there's no one around this is a lady who's had five husbands and the person that she's with isn't her husband and she's hiding like people don't want to associate with her yet Jesus has sought her out he's asked her for a drink he's been intimate he's spending time with this lady we know that the lady uh, isn't of good character or well-respected in the village because she goes uh, at that time of day. But also we see that when the disciples come back, she gets freaked out. So she's like, oh my goodness, oh no. And the disciples are like, this is awkward. Like, Jesus like, who's that? What? And she quickly kind of gathers her stuff and in the rush, she leaves her water jar. You can see that this is an awkward situation. She knows that people think certain away of her. She knows how it looks, and she quickly flees. But Jesus, wanting to set her free, doesn't care. He crosses the boundaries to get to the heart of the matter, which is a matter of the human heart. He asks the lady for a drink. And in some ways, in him doing that, just like at the cross, he goes first with the humiliation. He shames himself in a way. 
He's stepping on all these boundaries, all these cultural rituals and so on. And he's actually bringing a bit of disgrace and shame on himself by, by being there, but by asking the woman for a drink. And he's saying, look, I'm going to go first. I know this isn't the norm, but I'm prepared to embarrass myself here. I'm prepared to, to, to kind of humiliate myself here. And in a way, maybe he's teeing her up for her to be vulnerable too. But what an amazing picture of the cross that Jesus is running to the place of humiliation. And he's like, hey, come on, let's do this. Let's set you free. So they go back and forth in conversation. And he basically says to her, the only one who can quench your thirst, the inner thirst that you so desire is the Holy Spirit. It's me. It's the living water. That's the only thing that can satisfy you. These are the things they're not going to cut it. It's only through me and the Holy Spirit. And I believe that God's saying the same thing for us today. I believe that God's saying to us, like, your work's not going to cut it. It's going to bring a level of satisfaction, but it's not going to truly satisfy. Like, your marriage, although it's a gift of God, it's, it's going to come close. It's not going to fully satisfy. The money that you make or the promotion that you might get it's good, but it's not going to satisfy. Not fully, not truly. Jesus is saying, only I can satisfy. Only I can bring you the thing that we are designed to have. That's this living water, this living relationship, the Holy Spirit that's coming from, that comes from him and lasts for forever. The only one who can truly satisfy the human heart is the one who made the human heart. It makes so much sense, doesn't it? Jim Carrey, who is a famous actor and comedian, says this. I hope everybody could get rich and famous and have everything they ever wanted or dreamed of so they know that it's not the answer. But so often we draw from the wrong well, don't we? We go to the wrong places for affirmation, for love, for attention, for our identity, for validation. We go to these places that leave us thirsty. We draw from the wrong well. And Jesus is saying, this isn't going to do it. This isn't going to cut it. But let me give you the thing that will just quench your thirst. And you'll never thirst again. You'll never thirst again. It's going to start here and it's going to last for forever. It's an ongoing, living water that will well up and that will just quench your thirst. So quick question then. Which well are you drawing from? Which well are you drawing water from? Where's the source? And are you thirsty this morning? Dave kicked off, didn't he, at the beginning with that question. Are you thirsty? Like we thirst for more of God. Our hearts are restless until we find rest in God. Our hearts are thirsty until we're quenched by the Spirit. Until the Spirit comes and fully, truly satisfies us. Are you thirsty? Well, the woman at the well, she was thirsty. We see it in verse 15. She says, sir, give me this water. Like, yeah, I'm in. I've heard what you're saying. It sounds amazing, by the way. Sir, give me this water. Like, she's thirsty. She's thirsty for it. Desperate for it. He knows that she desires more. The lifestyle that she's built around herself that isn't really working. He knows that he can deliver her from it. He knows that he can satisfy her. He knows that like most of us in life, we want the real thing. Again, some images from that music video, Moby, but so often we put this sort of thing out there of like, I'm doing great, but please don't talk about my backstory, like my 
background, like I'm doing fine, yeah, everything's great. But actually there's a whole world of pain going on that I'm just not willing to talk about or address or even bring to God. I have a friend uh, recently who, when you look at his social media feed and the stuff that he puts out on well-filtered pictures, you're like, wow, your life's pretty good. And then call him up and find out he's actually suicidal. Like, the stuff that goes on in the backstage, in the background, in the dark, in the hidden, God already knows it, and he loves you, and he, and he wants to call you out to and say, I'm going to give you something that's going to satisfy. I want to bless you. I want to love upon you. I want to love upon you and pour out my life on you. But let's look at that. Let's address it. So what must she do then? He's kind of taken her to it. He's built up. He's told her the story. He's spoke about the living water. And she's in. So she's like, I'm a customer. Yeah, yeah, I want to do it. What do I do? What's the magic formula? How do I sign? Where do I sign? What do I do? What's the answer? Go and tell your husband. What? No, 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 no. We're talking about water. Remember Jesus? It's like, you know, the H2O. Like We're talking about the living. How, how do we get this water? Go and tell your husband. No, no, you don't understand. <laughs> like, that, that isn't, like, you don't want to go there. Like, don't pick at that thread. If you pick at that thread, it's going to all fall apart and I'm going to crumble. Like, no, don't talk about that. Where's the water? Go and call your husband. And at first we see that the lady, the woman at the well, she says, oh, I don't have a husband. <laughs> what husband? Like, husband? Well, no. It's sometimes hard, isn't it? Myself, I find myself doing this. It's like when God presses on something, when the Holy Spirit kind of like brings something to the surface, so easy to be like, what? Nah, that's good. I'm good. Everything's fine. That's cool. No, 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 no. Don't go there. Like, what husband? Are you kidding? And then Jesus begins to actually, in detail, say, yeah, no, you're right. You haven't got a husband. You've had five. The guy that you're with is not your husband either, is it? He's not shaming her. He's just bringing to the light that she already knows, what she already knows. And he's saying, this isn't going to do it. This isn't going to work for you. Like, it, it's not going to satisfy. Only I'm going to satisfy. A little bit like the songs in the night. Jesus knows her backstory. He knows what's happening in the dark. He knows what's hidden. And she's kind of feeling this, this fear, you know. Don't pick at that thread. Don't shame me. Like, don't talk about that. A friend of mine recently reminded me of Moses, where he stood before God. And, and Moses is asked to throw his staff down before God. And as he does, the staff turns into a snake. And then God says to Moses, hey, pick, pick the snake up by the tail. Now, you don't need to be Bear Grylls or Ramirez to know that if you're going to pick a snake up, you don't pick it up by the tail, it's going to coil back around and it's going to bite you. Like for someone who worked in the desert and understands snakes, he's like, I'm not picking that thing up by the tail. Like, what? He's like, that just doesn't make any sense. That's so unnatural to pick a snake up by the tail. Yet he trusts God. He goes there. He brings himself to the tail and he picks the snake up by the tail and God uses that in so many ways he uses the staff to lead his people out he uses the staff to part the sea he uses this thing yet he was asking a difficult thing of Moses I believe that it's similar Jesus is saying to the woman at the well hey pick the snake up by the tail no like that's just 
that's like an unnatural thing to do. Like, let's not talk about that. Let's not address that. That If I do that, God, like if I talk about that, it's going to be social death. You don't know what the village is saying about me. You don't know what the town's like. Like, no, I, I don't want to have that conversation, God, because I'm outcasted. But it's like, let's address that. Let's go there. Yes, I know it's hard. I know it's difficult. But I can redeem this. I can use this. I can bring life from this place. She then bombards him with a whole lot of questions in some ways, avoiding the situation, avoiding what's been going on. And she talks religiously for him for quite a while. And then Jesus brings her back onto the track and he says, you know, I'm the one that you're talking about. I'm the one that you're desperate for. I'm he, I am he, I'm the one. At this point, his disciples come back. And as I've said earlier, it's a bit awkward because it's like, wow, you're talking with this woman alone in, in Samaria. And, and we know that that's just no, 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 that you don't do that. But then we also read what happens is that the lady leaves the situation, she leaves Jesus, and she faces the town like head on. She faces it head on. She goes back into the village, she goes back into the town, the place where she feels shamed. Moses felt shamed when he went back to Egypt. That was a place where he'd murdered, a place where he was once prince. She goes back to the town and she talks about Jesus. She tells people about Jesus in the very place that she's running from, the very place that causes her pain and shame and humiliation, the very place that she feels like she's outcasted and doesn't have a voice. God says, no, 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 no. I've given you a voice. Pick the snake up by the tail. Do the hard thing. Go to that place and see what I do. Scripture also says at this point she tells these people, hey, you'll never guess what happened. I had this incredible conversation with, this, with Jesus. She talks about Jesus. And Scripture says that they, she says, come and see. Just come and see. Come and see this guy. Scripture says many believed in Jesus. Why? Because of her testimony. Because of her testimony. She faced her past, her present, her pain. She allowed God to do something in it and through it. And many people came to faith. Scripture also says that Jesus stayed on for another two days after that. It was all kicking off. It was all happening. More and more people were coming to faith. Out of this place of shame and, and, and pain, the living water comes and people uh, come into a relationship with God, with Jesus. Jesus can redeem our places of shame and pain if we allow him to. You know, the amount of people that I've had the privilege to speak to, Christian and non-Christian, and pray with Christian and non-Christian about divorce and later on in life about grief as my dad died. The, the, the positions that I've been in, the conversations I've been in, are absolutely incredible because God's the great redeemer and he's renewing all things and he's renewing our situations. He's allowed to, me to be in that place where I would pretty much want to avoid but he's bringing life and he brings life to it. Let me just end uh, with a story and then we're going to respond uh, to what God's doing. I um, remember when I was uh, at art college, I was studying art and design for three years and it was in the Lake District and we had this big trip to London. Uh, we went down to London to see all the art galleries and, and so on. It was very exciting. Um, and then after we'd seen all the art galleries and everything else, we all came back and there was probably about 20 of us from the course. I was desperately trying to fit in. Um, and we were all having drinks 
around the table, last orders had been called and so on. And actually, I was quite enjoying the conversation. It was pretty petty, you know, it was nothing really big, you know, just getting to know each other. And I was like, I'm blending in really nice here. This is really great. It's all fun, you know, a couple of laughs here and so on. I think I'm accepted. It's all good amongst my, col my college friends. And then I felt I heard God say, ask them if they believe in me. I was like, as if, <laughs> no way, as if I'm going to do that. Just ask them, does anybody believe in God? It's like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this is going well. Like, we're having good kind of conversations. I'm, I'm almost blended in here. I'm kind of one of the crowd. If I do that, it's going to be social death. Like, are you asking me to pick a snake up by the tail? That's so unnatural. Like, you don't do that amongst your college friends. Like, you know, I'm a student. We don't do that. Ask them if they believe in God. After a bit of a wrestle, which I find myself in at times, and usually God wins, I kind of pick the snake up by the tail, and I, I kind of say, oh, hey, guys, does anybody believe in God? And then I kind of sit back and be like, okay, I'm out, I'm done, yeah, you throw the drinks over me, you know, I know this is done, yeah, you probably never talk to me again, weirdo in the corner, blah, blah, blah. So I give it, give it this sort of few seconds as the tumbleweeds go by. But suddenly what happens is, all the shy people pipe up. All the people who didn't have an opinion suddenly have an opinion. Suddenly the conversations change direction and it's actually going quite fast and it's actually quite exciting. Some people have got an opinion about who God is. Some people are really angry about the fact that I believe in God. Some people are quite offended. Some people are a little bit hurt. Some people have experience of God years ago when they were a kid, but not any longer. And you know, it's the only time in my whole life that I've ever stayed up for the whole night until the sun came up talking about Jesus. It's one of the first times in my whole life that I led somebody to the Lord. One of my friends gave her life to Jesus, got to know Jesus at the end of the conversation. And the place that I would typically not want to go to, the place of, of social death or humiliation, actually, God was at work. Actually, the living water was beginning to stir and begin to flow. And actually, God was at work and did an incredible thing and does an incredible thing as his Holy Spirit comes and the Holy Spirit empowers us and the Holy Spirit flows. We had a, a prophetic word not so long ago, actually, as the staff team went away um, and a guy from HDB came and was just praying over us. But just the sense that he got. So I just, I just get a sense, you know. The next phase, a chapter that kind of that have P's and G's and what God is doing, you know, it's, it's going to be really exciting. It's great. Like the best days are yet to come. God's got a plan. He's doing some great things. But he just had an inclination that maybe it's about the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is going to empower us, that we're going to experience more of God, more of God and build on what God's done over the years and he's doing over the years and still doing. But we're going to experience more of the Spirit. And I think as a church, we're thirsty. I think as a church, we're like, yeah, I'm in, I'm in. God, I'm in. Like, I want, I want this. I want your presence. I want your spirit. Come, fill me. Only Jesus can satisfy. Only you, Lord, can satisfy. 